0: all these books I thought I'd take some light reading guess I got bored welcome to TFM's books and comics show and I am just one of the hosts here Matthew rushing and with me this week uh, throughout the entire show so excited to have back
1: the one the only
0: Bruce Gibson
1: hey hi 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 everybody I'm here and I've been reading <laughs> so that's a requirement for the
0: show I hear that I hear oh, oh wait were we supposed to read something for this?
1: Yeah, we were, actually. But, uh, you know, every Star mm-hmm. Trek story is the same. So just pick any it. episode. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. No one will It'll know the good. difference. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's exciting because, you know, we have so much to talk about. Um, I do want to remind everybody, though, um, before we uh, hit the meat of the news here, uh, you can find us, of course, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on uh, every platform possible so just make sure you're subscribed so you get the podcast as soon as it drops especially now that we've got more episodes coming to you with bruce helping out again and uh, you could find us on apple podcasts of course and if you do please leave us a star rating review it definitely helps the show grow of course you could find us on twitter at TrekFM or on facebook at facebook.com slash there's a listeners only discussion group on facebook called the babel conference you can join uh, you can talk to listeners from all over the world of course we've got our associate producers here through patreon greg rosier and casey Petit really want to say thank you to them for supporting the network through patreon to make sure that all of the shows keep coming to us So, really appreciate their support and honestly we need it uh this is a massive network and as we're restructuring some things we definitely continue to need your help so you could find us at patreon.com slash fm and you can support the network there so Bruce, it is amazing the amount of book news that we have. And part of the reason that is, is because the entire book release schedule for 2021 has completely changed to what it was before. And we now have an idea of what that mystery trilogy is going to be there uh, at the end of the year. Um, So before we get to that, though, I figured we could kind of walk through what the lineup is going to be for the rest of the year, because we actually don't have a new book coming out until May.
1: I know, it's kind of sucks that we don't have a new book coming out until May, but when we do get a new book in May, we're getting a book every month for the rest of this year, all the way through December. It's so crazy that I'm going to cry with happiness. I'm just so thrilled. I mean, it's really cool because it's everything from Discovery to TOS to TNG and Picard, and to your point, oh, and DS9 too, but to your point, you know, we've got this big trilogy coming up.
0: In May, we've got the disco book uh, Wonderlands coming out there by Una McCormick. So uh, Una McCormick, always a a fan favorite, always writes good stuff. So that should be exciting for all the disco fans
1: out there. And I love the cover of this too, because it's it's got that, I know, doesn't it remind you of like a movie poster? That's what it looks like to me. It does. Because it's got those colors, you know, the blue mm-hmm. and the yellowish, orange, reddish, or whatever. Yeah. It kind of reminds me, actually, of The Force Awakens.
0: You know, it's <laughs> funny uh, you say that, and, and hey, I'm people know I'm not a huge disco fan, but I would say this book would get my stamp of approval for the cover. It's a great-looking cover.
1: Yes, it would definitely get my stamp of approval, too awesome well you know what i'm really excited about
0: bruce is the fact that we're getting a new tos movie era book called living memory coming out in june and because we just don't get enough exploration i feel like of the tos movie universe in fact i would be fine if for like the next 10 years they never did another five-year mission story and just focused on the movie era
1: You and I are so much alike when it comes to that. (laughs) It's not that I don't like the five year mission period, but we've had so much of it, you know, Mm -hmm. and you really think about it. If you watch the undiscovered country and generations, especially in generations, they mention Kirk has been captain of the Enterprise for 30 years So if you think we tend to have all these stories within the first five years of a 30-year period, you've got 25 years to really dig into these characters and explore something that you couldn't explore with the characters from the first five years. So let's go in there and explore that. And I'm very grateful that Christopher L. Bennett is playing in this era.
0: Yeah, me too. No, I I could not be more excited. Uh, And and strangely enough, you know, I would... Even with the big trilogy coming, I think this might be the book I might be the most excited about just because it's set in an era to which I really, really love. So can't wait for that. Um, So we've talked about before. But they've moved the release date uh, to July for the TNG book, Shadows Have Offended. So that's when that's going to be coming out. Uh, And so not, I mean, again, we've talked about that before. So, Uh, but then in August, Bruce, we've got uh, another Picard book. So we already had one, uh, and that one focused on the Titan, of course. And this one is called Rogue Elements, and we're going to be focusing on Rios. So very excited uh, to, to beginning that, you know, really interested to see how they dive into his character. And this one's written by John Jackson Miller, a good friend of the show, which so excited to have him back uh, writing more Star Trek. And, you know, I, the last Picard book was so good. So I'm hoping that this continues that trend.
1: I'm going to bet that it does. I'm excited about this. I mean, of course, I'm excited about all the books. But I'm really excited about this because... Rios was a character that I really liked in Picard and I've just re- and I have been recently doing a rewatch of Picard and I'm watching on my Blu-rays and for some reason Rios is really standing out to me this time more so than he did the first run through that went on that series. So this is like perfect timing. I can't wait to dig into the past of Rios uh, just to see what brought him from Starfleet to this point in Picard in his character development.
0: Well, I mean, and he has that, I would say, such an interesting past, you know, with his previous commander and everything. So there is a lot to discover there. Now, the cover for this has come out as well, and I don't know if I would completely give this my stamp of approval, because I kind of think it's a little bit lazy when they just put the actor's picture on there. You know, it reminds me of the comic book covers where they do that for the Star Trek comics, where you're like... Okay, that's why would you want that cover when you could have the art version of the cover? Um, I really wish you know that disco cover is so beautiful, and again, that's just a Photoshop job there. I wish that they had put more effort into this. Because even like the TN uh the Titan Parkard novel that we got had a nicely done, kind of more artistic version of, you know, Troy and Riker that we got in Picard, but kind of aged, you know, backwards. And I thought that was a pretty nice cover. This one just, it, it, I mean, I feel like I could have made it on Photoshop and that's not really saying much.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, the background has some detail to it, but to your point, it looks like, yeah, it's probably just a cast photo, the headshot of Rios that they just put on the cover, but still, um, just seeing him there makes me want to read the book. So I, I get what you're saying, but uh, I'm still good with it.
0: Yeah, hey, and that you know what really matters, you know, in the end too. You know, we make fun of judging a book by its cover, but we I just hope the book is good, you know. And again, the the first Picard book we got of the year uh, was fantastic. So you know they're riding on a high right now, and I have to say, all the Picard books have been good so far. Una's book, you know, Chris and I have said this, and I I think you probably would agree, is kind of like mandatory reading if you really want to understand the first season of Picard anyway, Um, just because of the way it delves into the story and gives you all the backstory you need for that series.
1: Yeah. And just imagine if you haven't seen Picard, it would really be a great opportunity to read that book and then going into Picard because you have all that backstory. And same with this one, too. At least I okay. assume. So, Bruce,
0: we're there. We're going to talk about this trilogy, and it's called Coda. And first and foremost, it's written by three of our favorite authors uh, for Star Trek books. Of Dayton Ward, who's still in the green room, can't get him out. Uh, James Swallow. And, of course, uh, with, I think, the most appropriate title of all time for David Mack, oblivion's gate where he can destroy an entire universe uh so if we if we didn't think he kill, he's killed enough people recently in his books well i think that'll do it um but this is a massive trilogy that's going to tie in the lit verse into an alternate timeline um uh, by the you know uh with the new can of events of picard so uh This is really interesting because the way that they phrase this, the way it's phrased is that it's going to be shunted into an alternate timeline by the new canon events of Picard. So, does that
1: mean the Litverse can continue? I would... uh, That's a good question. First of all, the Litverse will always continue because any timeline that's changed really continues yep. you know the original timeline still exists but oh, yeah. well, we get it in printed form right um, I mm, I don't even know after this if we will get this verse continuity again in books because when it comes to the publishing and CBS, yeah, I have a feeling they're just going to focus on the new stuff. Yeah, I think and you're and probably then dabble right. in TOS and double you know dabble in TNG and stuff, but more in the timeline of the series, mm-hmm. uh for TNG, DS9, and Voyager. So, you know, but they may be leaving the door open because mm-hmm. you know down the road they might do something that takes place in this timeline or have the Picard timeline crossover into right. this timeline for something.
0: Yeah, so what is fascinating here is that this is going to be one last enormous crossover for TNG, D space nine, Titan, Aventine. So you've got the crew uh, with John Luke Picard, Benjamin Cisco, Ezri Dax, and William Riker, all uniting to prevent, as they call it, a cosmic level apocalypse only to find that some fates are really inevitable. So in some ways I feel like what you're saying is right. It all om- eh, this truly feels like a comic book crisis, you know? Crisis <laughs> on does. Infinite Universes. Um and that we are going to basically be shoving this into uh the Picard continuity in the sense that the universe I feel like is going to rewrite itself and you're going to end up with characters existing but them being different just the same way that you would with again like when dc did all the different crises you'd get the universe rewritten and then superman would be slightly different and batman would be you know so um i'm i don't know i'm just I, I, that's what it feels like to me
1: it does feel that way that's what we're conditioned to getting in those other franchises but i'm hoping that we're totally surprised and, yeah, and me that they yeah, totally different approach where we're like, oh, I you know, didn't expect that to happen. Oh, wow, that's interesting. I almost want to come out of this and say, well, wait a second, it's over, but they didn't tie some things up. Like, if anything, they created more loose ends and more questions, and it's like, what is going on? You know, as if there is some kind of future plan or such. But the interesting thing to me is where the supernova takes place, the Romulan supernova, because in the books, we came right up to that point. We haven't even, it hasn't even been mentioned in this timeline about the supernova. But in the timeline, we're right there, I'm like ready to hit it. So I have a feeling that something with the supernova affects this universe and somebody must go back in time or something or whatever to try to prevent it. And that's why in the Picard timeline, that's why maybe they know about the supernova and can be preparing for it because they didn't know about it in this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many possibilities. And so the first book is by Dayton Ward. It's called Moments Asunder. And it says, reality itself is under attack. The epic Star Trek Coda trilogy begins when an unexpected arrival of an old friend triggers a desperate mission to avert a fast-spreading temporal disaster, which, that's interesting. So is Kirk coming back?
1: Hmm, I, <laughs> I didn't read that into that possibly. Well, it just says an
0: old friend. I mean, so it could be anyone, right?
1: Yeah, it could be anyone. It could be I don't know, Harry Mudd. No, I guess it wouldn't be Harry Mudd, but is it Q? I mean, that could uh, be That was my first thought, friend.
0: but then as I was reading it I was like, an old friend. I mean, wouldn't it be kind of interesting? I mean, if you're going to bring all of the Starfleet's greatest heroes together, wouldn't Kirk be one of them? And wouldn't it be kind or of a Archer? fun way to, like, something happen? I don't know. So
1: Spock? Uh, well, I wouldn't consider Spock an old friend, probably. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't know who the old friend, like, who who's this old friend friends with? <laughs> you know? That's what I don't That's understand. That's true. Yeah.
0: It could be, again, uh, it does almost feel like they're setting up it kind of being a cue, um... But who knows? So the second book is The Ashes of Tomorrow by James Swallow. And it says the future is at war with the past. So, well, that's crazy. As the epic Star Trek Coda trilogy continues, as friends become foes and the temporal apocalypse accelerates and the catastrophe's true cause is revealed.
1: Bum, Mm. bum, bum. It's the whales. They did something. They changed something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Actually, in the, uh,
0: you know, I wouldn't put it past them.
1: <laughs> well, it could be the probe that was looking for the whales has come back. That's the old friend is the probe.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Nothing like, I mean, it's got to be the probe. Uh, so final book, Oblivion's Gate by David Mack. Their most daunting mission will be their finest hour. The epic Star Trek Coda trilogy comes to a shattering conclusion as the temporal apocalypse forces Starfleet's greatest heroes to make the greatest sacrifice of their lives. So, yeah, I mean, this trilogy is a big deal. Like, it's a big deal.
1: Uh, Honestly, I don't like the way these are written, because it does sound like an infinite Earths type of thing, you know? And I don't feel like it's going to be quite like that. Because it's always referring to heroes, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. saving the galaxy, the world, everything. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be really that big. I mean, Starfleet's greatest heroes. Yep. I expect it to say like DC's greatest heroes. Exactly.
0: It, I mean, it, maybe it's just Crisis on Infinite
1: Star Trek's. <laughs> exactly. But I don't think it is. I don't. I think we're being led to believe it's something like this, but it's not quite that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, you definitely have, I mean, honestly, these things are just written to get people to read books, right? You know, so as to how it's all going to play out, it's going to be really fascinating. And in some ways, like, I don't even care to speculate too much because I'm sure half, more than half of what I'm going to speculate would be gone. What I am really interested, the the biggest part here was at the very beginning where they talk about that it's Jean-Luc Picard, Benjamin Sisko. Ezri Dax and William Riker. Uh, and I'm very excited to hear that because, of course, you and I have talked many, many moons uh ago about how unhappy I've been with the the thread line for Benjamin Sisko ever since he came back in Unity. Uh, and so just to see his name there is exciting. Um, and uh, hopefully it'll be a good... You know, if this is the end, I hope that they will make it such an end that uh, you know, I will be satisfied. So, um, well, uh, after all that talk, Bruce, we actually have another book that's going to come out here at the very end There's of the year in December, which I wow. really actually have to feel very bad about this book, Revenant, this D- Deep D Space Nine book, because. I don't know how I'm going to handle anything else after what just happened uh, with the Coda trilogy. So, But they did give us uh, the blurb for this book, which it sounds interesting.
1: Yeah. And this is also done by a new author to Star Trek, which, of course, we've mentioned before. And it takes place during the series timeline of Deep Space Nine. So the fact that Coda's ending, now we're going into this book, this book is not going to play in that timeline in that lit timeline. So we're going back to the times of the original series, which is kind of nice to return, but I don't always want to stay there. Just like we were saying about TOS.
0: Yeah. So uh, do you want to give everybody what the, uh,
1: the blurb is for this one? Jadzia Dax has been a friend to Edom Pritt, the Trill Trade Commissioner over two lifetimes. When Edom visits Deep Space Nine with a request to rein in his wayward granddaughter, Nemi, Dax can hardly say no. It seems like an easy assignment. Visit a resort casino while on shore leave and then bring her old friend Nimi home. But upon arrival, Dax finds Nimi has changed over the years in terrifying ways. And the pursuit of the truth will plunge Dax into a headlong into a century's worth of secrets and lies.
0: Hmm. I mean, I don't know what to say about that. I It. It sounds interesting, and it doesn't give enough away or really tell me I feel like enough about what's going to be happening for me to kind of have much of a comment at this point.
1: Well, Nemi is the old friend, so maybe Nemi's also the old friend in the CODA trilogy. (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't know. know, Maybe she just ruined reality. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, we get a resort casino on Shoreleaf. That should be fun and interesting. Dax in a casino. Well, yeah, that's true. Interesting.
0: Well, all that book news and uh Bruce, we do have a comic to talk about with uh year 5, uh number 19 comes out and this wraps up the storyline that we've been uh reading about with um the sickness that's happening uh and of course with Isis uh you know being responsible for all this. So, um you know, it was I found it slightly disappointing because it wrapped up too quickly. I I really wanted this storyline to go on a little bit more, especially with Isis, because they don't even touch on what happens to her at the end of the comic.
1: Well, yeah, because they've been kind of playing around with this Gary 7 Isis thing off and on throughout this series of year five. They seem to come and go. And as I was reading this comic, I thought this feels like this is a part two and there's going to be at least a part three. Mm -hmm. So to your point, I wasn't expecting it to wrap up in this issue. Then all of a sudden it was wrapping up and I thought, well, what's going to go on with Isis? And it just sounds like that's to be continued probably in some future story. But Isis plays such a big part in this comic that I expected something more to be revealed than just, you know. Getting getting her out of the way, you know, like, why is she really doing all this? You know? Exactly.
0: Because, I mean, she says that she's doing it because of the what Kirk did to Gary seven. OK, but like there wasn't anything else to it. And and then, of course, we don't hear anything about her at the end of the comic. You know, it, it's basically the end of the comic becomes about, you know, bone saving the society and, uh, which was the best part of the comic. I mean, watching Bones basically pull a Kirk and, ba- and go rogue, uh, you know, and, and find a way to save this, uh, entire planet was pretty awesome. I mean, especially as a Bones fan. But, but yeah, I just felt like we really lost the storyline with Isis and, I guess they have to follow up with that now, because otherwise, then what was the point of really having her here if we don't give us some kind of follow up in the next comic or the next couple issues, maybe?
1: Yeah, because on the last page, Kirk even says, unfortunately, we'll never know her true motives. (laughs) And it's just kind of like, yeah, but that's what I was expecting to get the way this was building up. I was expecting, okay, we're really going to find out more about why ISIS is mm-hmm. this way and why she's doing all this. And then it's just like, oh, we'll find out another time. But to your point, the McCoy storyline was really good and how he saved this society. And, yeah, he was very much going rogue. He, sometimes it felt like he was just really obsessed with, like, I've got to do this, mm-hmm. Jim. i got to do this. And damn and damn it and damn. <laughs> over and over again. And like, he had determination. Yeah. I mean
0: I- – I'm it was, what I loved about it is, you know, so many times in Star Trek, you know, Bones doesn't really get to be a doctor, you know, <laughs> like, um, and here, you know, he's really getting to be a doctor who is a, at the top of his game. Uh, and um, I really loved, you know, uh, you, him and Kirk have the argument about whether or not they should use the research from, um, you know, the, the doctor who is conducting experiments on people and... Bones is completely against using that type of research because then it validates it in any way. And, you know, of course, he's completely against that as well. So, you know, I I thought that was the strongest part of the story. Um, It was just disappointing that I mean. We don't even have an idea of what happened to ISIS like I thought they had captured her. But then again, we don't really even it seems like she's
1: just gone. I'm glad you brought that up because I was confused by that too. As we were talking through this, I thought, well, wait, I thought they captured her, but then they talk like she's gone. So yeah, I was a bit confused by that. And the only other little complaint that I would add is sometimes I feel like, and I don't remember if it's this this issue or the previous one because they're kind of two-parters, but he does seem, McCoy does seem to often refer to Spock, you know, you pointy air, pointy-eared blah 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 or you green-blooded da 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 sometimes it happens a little too many times for my taste for i think like once in a story maybe twice at the most would be good but not more than that
0: i i can agree i couldn't agree with more with you because you know that's the kind of thing where like Bones only says that when he's really annoyed with you know spock and for him to say it like so many times it loses its kind of meaning so Yeah, I mean, overall, it was, I think, a good issue. Um, I just, I I hoped for more because I was so interested in this Isis storyline. And right now, I kind of felt felt let down by that. Um, But, you know, at least the bone side of the the storyline really um, kind of lifted the rest of the comic up, I think.
1: I also was expecting more of a conclusion because this is also the last issue that will be in the trade paperback. Uh, it's issues 13 through mm. 19 in that. So I expected. So as I was reading it, as I was saying, I thought, oh, this isn't going to conclude. And I thought, but th- this is the last issue that's going to be in that trade paperback. Mm. Um, But then. But then it did wrap up and I was like, oh, well, then I expected more of a conclusion. But anyway, mm. yeah, we'll just have to wait for future issues.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. So, well, uh, that is all the news we have for you today. Bruce, you know, uh, we're going to be continuing with the 24th Century book, so maybe it's time to catch up with uh, Ezri on the Avatine.
1: Yeah, because we never know where she's going to end up in Coda. <laughs> that's true.
0: So, uh, Bruce, you know, now we're going to be starting a, a new miniseries that happened in the books. And, um chronologically, uh, the first book in the series would be Rough Beasts of Empire, but Zero Sum Game was actually the first book released in the series back when it came out. And so we kind of went in that order, and Rough Beasts of Empire jumps around timeline-wise anyway, so felt like a good place to be able to start with this one. And this one is the Typhon Pack. So, we're going to really be dealing with the ramifications of the fact that these basically Axis powers, (laughs) if you want to, that's the only way I can think of to put it, have joined forces uh, in their own type of federation that they're calling the Typhon Pact, which basically creates a whole new Cold War for the galaxy. And so just overall because this book really does play with those type of themes how do you, how do you feel like you know that works as a storytelling structure for Star Trek here?
1: I think it works really well because we always seem to have these baddies where it's like oh we're going up against the Klingons oh we're going against the Romulans or the Cardassians or such and now we have this like unity of all these different groups not the Klingons but but some of these others that have all gotten together and I don't think they're quite, you know, it's not quite a federation, but it's kind of like that, you know, they've all kind of teamed up and I think it's something that we've never explored in star Trek because now that they're working together and it's not going to be a perfect union as we even kind of find out in this book, I think it's an interesting opportunity to explore the baddie in the star Trek universe, Without it being just one group, it's now a mixture Mm -hmm. of several groups together.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, you know, interesting way to put it, Uh, mainly because, you know, we do get to approach what it would be like to have a quote unquote federation of people who don't really all share the same values other than their dislike of the federation. Right. Like that's what really brings these people together. And that's what I find really fascinating, because in many ways, I think this kind of shows us how if you're going to have a group of people together throughout different you know, uh, races and everything like this, especially in Star Trek, you really do have to have more commonalities than your hate for somebody else. Because the way in which they work together isn't really fluid. I mean, it's it and it. I would say it, it already here. We're showing the cracks of, you know, this relationship um, between the Typhon Pact. So, I thought that was fascinating and very well done, and made a
1: lot of sense. It's almost power by numbers right? Mm-hmm. You're going up against the Federation, but then you realize, well, that other guy doesn't like the Federation and they don't like the Federation. So maybe mm-hmm. if we kind of team together, we can handle the Federation, we'll have more power. And again, that kind of plays in this book, where are sharing technology, but there's also not a trust in sharing that right. technology with each other.
0: Yep. I, I think... It, it just really goes to show that, you know, in the end, if you're going to be a society and to create, try and create a society together, um, you know, you have to have more than just hate. You have to have some common values. And these groups don't really have a lot of common values. And at the same time, they also have a ton of, uh, I would say, crazy idiosyncrasies. Um, that make it really difficult for them to have any kind of trust in the first place. Um, you know, none of these societies are built on anything like trust. <laughs> They're all built on, you know, cynicism and distrust more than anything else. So, again, that makes it really difficult. Now, I just thought, you know, as a storytelling structure of creating a Cold War instead of an all-out war, which we'd already had in the... uh you know deep space nine with the dominion war i thought this made for a really interesting thing because in many ways the storytellers here that are creating this seem to have kind of placed the dominion war as like the world war ii uh for the star trek universe and then the follow-up to that is the fallout and then the cold war and so storytelling wise as as we're progressing from you know what had come in the 24th century i just feel like it feels right you know um and it makes sense um and it it gives you a really interesting opportunity to then continue to explore the federation in some very different ways like because this is going to be uh, all about espionage and all that kind of stuff and how is the federation going to handle that type of war as opposed to Kind of a, a straight up, like we're fighting for survival type thing.
1: Star Trek is very tricky because you don't want it to be all about war, but it also mm-hmm. welcomes that. I mean, even if you look at the bridge of a starship, they say that they're explorers, but that at the same time, they're kind of set up like a military. And that topic comes up in so many Star Trek stories. But then when you're writing stories, you have to appeal to buyers of books. And so I can see going to the default of a war and there's a fighting with this and fighting with that. And at this point in the timeline, to your point, we had the the Dominion War. We've had the board. I mean, we've had so many things that we've dealt with. It's like I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want yet another war. I don't want another big galactic war situation or fighting going on. And this almost sets it up that that could happen, but this also then this also becomes more of a political story, and to your point, right. a cold war. And so we get that play in there, like we did with Articles of the Federation, and we even revisit some of those characters. So, it really explores more of the political side of the Federation and these other unions mm-hmm. to see how that plays out. And I enjoy that because it's a different take than what we typically have been getting right. prior to this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in all of that, you know, all of those politics, again, this, like the Cold War itself, it becomes much more about espionage, which is really interesting. And so, um, so I want to ask you. So we end up this story is obviously about Bashir. He's going to play a big part in here, and so one of the things that we get in this book is Bashir and Ezri, and then a Bashir and Serena, uh, and these two relationships in his life. First, wanted to talk a little bit with you about Bashir and Ezri because. How did you feel about how that was handled in this story? Because this is really the first time that they've interacted since basically she left his butt and decided to be a captain.
1: Yeah. Well, I like that they both feel a little awkward around each other. And I love when Serena and Bashir beam onto the ship that Ezri takes their arms and guides them down, you know, to their quarters and as if all friendly, but she's standing between them and Serena's starting to pick up some things like, wait, was there something going on between these two, the way Esri Dax is acting? But then when she, when Esri invites Bashir to her place, then to have dinner, I thought it was going to be very cordial, but then it quickly, quickly turned And they obviously have things that they have not been able to resolve between them, but then we don't really revisit that later. So we've kind of left them with this rift between them or or something's going on, which tells Mm -hmm. me that there still may be feelings between the two of them.
0: Yeah. I, so I've obviously read this book before and I Was always a huge fan. Obviously, everybody knows I'm a huge fan of Esri. And I love that her and Bashir got together at the end of Deep Space Nine. So I was also always really frustrated when the books tore them apart for what I felt like was not necessarily the best reason. And part of that just felt as though uh, because they were both being too childish... Really? like Yes. It, th- th- and, and even here, it continues that childness. uh. And I was really frustrated by that because as I watch the series of Deep Space Nine, I feel as though Bashir really grows up and really becomes, I think, a much more mature, much more understanding man. And I feel like the books, to me, threw him back into being... Uh, somebody who didn't understand how to handle relationships with women at all, who felt like he really hadn't learned. Um, And I get that, you know, Esri is figuring things out and growing, but to me, the opportunity there was, why don't you take and put Esri and Bashir on the Aventine and have them mirror the relationship between Bashir Picard and Crusher, but now reversed, where the woman is the captain and the man is the doctor. And I feel like you could tell some super interesting stories there instead of just having to. It, to me, it's it's the easy way out to just rip them apart and and then um, I so I'm still frustrated rereading this book with the storyline. Like I I find myself those all of those feelings resurfaced for me. And I'm, I'm kind of upset about it all over again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm the opposite of that. Well, first of all, you're saying you wish they would stay together, and they're on the Avatine together, or whatever. But guess what? That could happen in the new Picard timeline. So maybe we will get that in in there some you go. I, novels. I
0: guess I right? could be happy about that. Yeah.
1: So then, the the reason I like that they well, I don't like that they split them up necessarily. It wasn't like I it was something I wanted. You know, like you know, Worf and. Troy. yeah, I wanted them split up in Chicotay in 709. I really wasn't a big fan of those either. But Bashir and Ezri, I would be fine if they lived happily ever after together. But what I liked about this take in the books is that to your point, Bashir had matured when it came to relationships. I don't know if I don't know if they pulled him that far back from that, but to me Ezri was still growing up because once she got the Dax symbiont in herself, Now she has to discover herself. So when she gets into a relationship with somebody that at that point in her life, she hasn't discovered who she really is yet. So that's probably not the best time for Ezri to be in a relationship. So it's almost like she's going through puberty with a symbiont, even though she's a grown adult, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so now that she's maturing and she's finding out all these different things about herself from past hosts, I can see how the relationship with Bashir just doesn't work for her. Now, Because I've read this book before and future books, I really love Bashir and Serena together. So it makes up for Bashir and Ezri not being together.
0: So, and that's a perfect segue because um, I don't mind them together, but I don't like the way that the book ends, where we get the feeling that the revelation that she's just playing him. Or at least that's what the they leave us with. Like I'm like, or is she really?
1: Well, exactly. Is she playing him, or yeah. is she playing right? Section thirty one. Exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly. So it 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 leaves you with this just this, this frustration, I think, with their relationship. But I I do think it is interesting because you know in many ways, uh, you know, Serena is a challenge to Bashir, um, and who he is, and you know. Um, I, I thought the the challenge for Bashir here was the fact that, you know, he's being roped into this because of her, right? Like he wouldn't do this without her. Um, and so that is really fascinating. And of course, like you said, this is going to be a very long game that isn't going to end till control. Um, which is a lot of books away. We've all, we've already talked about, um, here. So we've ruined it for everyone, but yeah. Um, I thought that they had a good rapport together and I thought they have um a lot of fun together just it is characters and obviously it is interesting to juxtapose Bashir and Serena and their relationship between you know who Bashir and Ezri were and you know I can't argue too much of of, of what you said about Ezri I've just I thought I'm still pissed about it <laughs>
1: Well, think about it this way, Matt. She's available now, so you have a chance. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's true. Um, <laughs> Nicole, if you're listening. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it. you know, Bashir and Serena, I think, make a very interesting couple. Uh, and mainly because, obviously she is the one person that Bashir can be completely himself with and even be put in his place because in some ways she's better at some things than he is, you know? So that is a really interesting thing for this character to be challenged with.
1: Oh yeah. She definitely challenges him. I mean, you know, as a doctor, he's not, you know, going to kill, you know, he's here to save lives. But then in this mission, he's got to cross that, that line. And she, she, convinces him of it she points out to him you know we've got this mission we need to do this and there's several situations like that where she really challenges him and in some ways you know i guess you could say he kind of challenges her you know to maybe not go as far but i don't think she ever listens to him but he does really take in what she has to say her Mm -hmm. experience is really quite interesting and i think that's why i like this character and him being coupled with her because there's so much to learn about her that's a mystery And it's almost like past relationships that I've had where the girl I'm dating is a mystery.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think she really is a mystery. And I think something that you were saying there is really fascinating because, you know, this book really does play with that whole idea of, of spy morality. And, you know, Bashir obviously has played his spy games in the holodeck, but here where, you know, real lives are on the line and you are are having to make these really tough decisions based off, do you support the mission or do you support, um, you know, the people that you run into and what is more important and all those type of things, I thought the book did a pretty good job of really... Working through all of those things and really challenging, obviously, the character of Bashir, who is very idealistic, you know, and when you put an idealistic person in a very pragmatic place, that makes for a really interesting discussion on how they're going to live, you know, and and how they're going to act.
1: And then he learns from that and he starts to adapt himself in that way. And so at one point in the book, they get separated when we get towards the end. Now, she's been kind of, for the most part, taking the lead on most of this and I've, and directing him. But once they get separated, it's all on him and he does take lives. And I mean, he regrets it later. I wanted that to affect him a little harder, though, than it did. I really wanted to see it bother him tremendously of killing others. Sure. And I mean, he did regret. I mean, he, he had some of that, but I, I really wanted to hit him hard, but maybe mm-hmm. he has changed, you know, because yeah. of Serena, but I, I don't think he's quite there yet.
0: Well, and I do feel as though this is something that this is not obviously the end for him. I think the repercussions are going to be felt in books as they continue, which is a nice setup
1: for the future books for sure. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, This is, you know, we have some of the other Typhon pack members, but each of these books kind of focuses on a different member. And here, the member that we really focus on are the Breen, which, you know, we spent some time with the Breen in the Dominion War. But here, we really dive into this group and who these people are. And I thought... You know, it was really fascinating to kind of finally learn about this society, which, you know, in, in some ways almost felt like the society of Big Brother, but they chose it. Like, it's very interesting to see how they live, you know, that they all choose to basically be identity-less. You know, they all choose to to live in a place where everything is monitored. I mean, it's like, it reminds me of that police song, you know, I'll be watching you every breath you take. You know, it's like, that's exactly the society of the Breen, which it's really terrifying, actually.
1: It's terrifying in the fact that it's really about equality and it going too far. You know, people mm-hmm. want to be treated the same. Okay. Well, if you want to be treated the same and not ju- be judged on your species and what your species is known to do, then we're going to dress everybody the same and we're going to judge you on just who you are, which just sounds great. But they take it so far that, you know, everybody's being monitored. Everybody's being controlled, trying to keep so much order to everything and keeping everything the, the same That no one can, to your point, breathe, you know, (laughs) I mean, every breath you take, you can't take a breath because you're being watched and you're being controlled. And then there's a revolt against that. So Mm -hmm. it's like you got to find that happy medium.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really that's a good way to put it. And 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 I think it is a it is a really good lesson for us to take from this book you know just in general uh, when we look at the Breen that there really is too far you can go in terms of of equality and and I think what was interesting um, because of the way this book does that I think what makes this so fascinating is how this book shows that those there there's a segment of the population of Breen who want this to change you know, they want life to be different. They are actually looking to have life change. Um, and part of that is because they've created this underground society that in some ways reminded me very much of The Matrix and... Um, you know, you had uh, Zion, and that's basically what they have is a, this open place where people can take off their masks and be unveiled. And I was like, wow, man, talk about all this all this mask talk. That feels familiar. Um, you know, so, <laughs> yes. like, this just felt really, like, it was interesting. You know, when you go back and you read books like this, I think it's so fascinating to see just how, how much... Um, They can reflect the time you're in now, maybe even more so than the time when they were written. And that's this book really does that, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. I definitely felt that. I definitely felt that. You know, it's about, you know, treating others as equals and not judging somebody by the color of their skin or if they have fur or whatever. But again, as I was saying earlier, you know, they all want their equality. And so these people who are, trying to fight against the way this has been set up they want their equality and they want to be treated equally but they don't want to be treated as if they have to be controlled you know and so Mm -hmm. it's that control aspect of this society and it's like allow them to live their lives just treat them as equals
0: yeah no i completely agree with you And, and and i think you know the whole the whole thing with uh the the idea of the breen and who they are and everything like I, again i was really struck by the the whole um you know, the way in which, you know, we even get some like minority report in there that they track what you buy so that they can, you know, you know everything's being tracked so that you can be marketed to specifically and all that. And, you know, so uh, that was really fascinating. Very, uh, you know, familiar for those of us who are uh, worried about um, the way our data is being used and, and everything. And so all of that stuff just felt fascinating and and, and scary and really interesting uh, and well done, you know, I think, by you know David Mack here, and you know, um, I was kind of blown away about how some of these things made more sense now than when they first came out.
1: yeah, because there's the kiosks that Serena and Bashir use, and just by using those kiosks, they're able to track who used it when, where, what kiosk they moved to next. I mean, everything mm-hmm. is being tracked, and so it is hard to be a secret agent. And a spy in such of a situation, but you're right. I mean, we're we're not necessarily all being tracked quite that way, of course, or maybe we are. But uh, technology keeps moving closer and closer in that direction.
0: Yeah, and I thought you know it was interesting too, just to talk about the the brain in the sense that um, you know they are all of these different races. Um, and you know, they, the whole goal was to try and judge somebody only on their actions. Right. Um, and yet what we get is a society that where people, that's, that's not a bad deal. Right. But they also realize that they, they miss the, when you put a mask on, when you put on something that, takes away all of your personality, that you're missing something from life, you know, and that you want to be unmasked so that you can actually relate to somebody with all of who you are, not just a part of who you are, which I thought was really fascinating and a really, you know, again, felt very familiar in our world.
1: Yeah. And I'm just thinking there's people that are very shy, very withdrawn, and they put a shield up. And they can't necessarily live their lives to the fullest because of the shield. And that's what these uniforms are in a sense. They're shielding these people from being who they need to be and who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's its just kind of sad. But, you know, again, this equality thing. You know, I, I, in some ways, I don't like saying all people should be treated equal. Because... I mean, I get the whole idea behind it and what the Breen are trying to do, but, you know, the number two is not equal to the number three. But we don't treat the number two any differently than the number three. We recognize them all as numbers. They're all different mm-hmm. numbers, but we treat yep. them the same. But those numbers aren't equal. Everything's right. different.
0: Well, there's a there's a sense of, like, um, you know, individuality and truly being able to treat somebody based off of all of who they are, you know, so their actions and everything else. And, and, and I think that's a, all a part of this. And, and one of the reasons why we see, um, you know, many of, of the, the Breen uh, in this, you know, group uh, basically wanting to unmask and, 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 and live life differently, um, live life more freely and openly together with all of who they are, and not just some of who they are, not not to be restricted in that way, and and therefore, in and 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 this is the thing, right? To embrace the diversity, right? To embrace um the the ways in which that we're different, but also that helps us also truly embrace the way that we're the same. You know, forced equality like this doesn't really work, right? And that's what we're seeing, I think, is that we have to be able to recognize our differences, but we also have to be able to choose to align together because of of things that are more important than just the outward appearance, right? And I think this is one of the things that was kind of where I was seeing the connection with we were talking about uh at the beginning where it's like the Typhon Pact, right? They only have this one outward difference. We hate the Federation. But there's no inward value that brings them together other than their hate. That's not enough. And in the brain, or I think these these um, dissidents are finding that as well. This outward appearance isn't enough to make me feel connected to you. I have to choose to be connected to you by allowing you to see, you know, behind the mask.
1: Well, I'm even thinking about what we're going through now with COVID, and we're all been separated from each other Mm -hmm. we've got people at my company who started at the company during covid and have never met any of their coworkers in person and so not to say we're like the breen but there's this desire from a lot of people i've been talking to at work so i can't wait to be in person with you i can't wait to meet you in person because there's just something more to it than just standing behind your computer all day You know, you want to have there's more to relationships that you get from being in front of somebody than just looking at them on a screen. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, uh, I think what's interesting is, again, this book, it is we've got this ability to kind of understand this in a way that we wouldn't even have back then, you know, Uh, and that's really fascinating to me, the way books can can change and grow like that. So. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, as well with the book because one of the things that this book did, I remember back in the day is introducing us to how much fun the Aventine crew was and how fun it was to have. I, I, to me, I love Ezra as a captain because she embodies a lot of the spirit of a lot of the captains we've had, but she has her own little spin on it. And part of that and maybe this is crazy, but Spider-Man as a character always is a character who tends to have as enjoyed having his powers. And, um, I feel like Ezri's kind of like the Spider-Man captain of the, the Star Trek universe. She enjoys being a captain. Like she just enjoys the fun of it, the thrill of it, the, 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 um, you know, just the craziness of it, you know, next problem, let's go, you know? And, that that's infectious. I felt like in the book and with her crew, because even though we haven't spent a lot of time with her crew up to this point, I was really enjoying every part of them. Um, and I was just thinking to myself, it is a travesty that we never actually got an Aventine series.
1: Right? Why haven't we? Maybe we can maybe no, probably not. Uh, I agree with you because I think with Esri, she's really found herself with all the other hosts. So she has the experience of several centuries behind her through the Dax Mm Symbiont. But then she's also come to be her own person. And the fact that she used to be a counselor, I think, really helps her, too, when she relates to her crew members. Mm -hmm. And then what really compliments her is her first officer, Sam Bowers, because he seems to just... I mean, he's very buttoned up, but I also feel like he's also open to be like, well, you know, if she wants to do that, I'm going along with it. All right, we'll do it together. And they just play beautiful music together because she Mm -hmm. wants to conduct the orchestra one way. He knows that, you know, the button up way is this and he's going to tell her to do it. But you know what? If she wants to take it at that tempo, we're going to take it at that tempo. And it just flows. You know, they're not arguing with each other. They just do it.
0: No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think that's one of the things that makes it uh, a really neat thing. And uh, it, is, it is strange to me that they never pulled the trigger. I feel like I had heard rumors that they were going to do an Aventine series. And, you know, honestly, I would have much rather had an Aventine series than throwing Cisco on a, ship and making him a captain you know it just it feels more organic right you know um and it and esri is different enough as a captain and her crew is fun um this ship is just one i always enjoyed the aventine design too i thought it was really cool this kind of sleek shark-like design it was just very different than a lot of the other starfleet ships um the whole thing the every part about the aventine and it doesn't really necessarily just have to do with the fact that I love Esri. It's, it was just really well written here. And it, it was just
1: begging for more of these characters. I'm almost willing to bet the, since we were just talking about Coda in the news, I I think with this new line of novels that will take place in the Picard timeline, I think we'll see a lot of elements from this lit verse into that timeline We've already seen that with the last Picard book, uh, The Dark Veil, where we've had some crew members from the Titan, and we've seen the Titan that was used on the covers and stuff in Lower Decks. So we've already seen some Mm -hmm. things from that novel line appear in this Picard line, both canon and non-canon. But I I wouldn't be surprised if we see these characters again on the Aventine in that timeline. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think that would be the thing that would be really smart for them to do. Um, you know, figure out what you are going to play with in the Picard show and then let the rest go, right? You know, let, let the books fill in. Um, give, uh, them the opportunity, uh, to, You'd play around with Cisco as a character, and all of these other characters. I mean, like, what happened to Cisco in D Space Nine in the Picard timeline? I'd be fascinated to know that, you know. So, you have so many different places to to be able to do that, and I'd love it. So, absolutely, you know, here, here, give us more of these characters when you can, because they they were just too good to to just not do anything with uh, anymore. So, which I guess, um. Was there anything else about the book that had kind of struck you or, or you'd thought about or that you felt like we, we missed?
1: I think the only thing I would add to that is the role of the Federation and of Starfleet itself and with Bako because of the whole slipstream and the Federation is trying to get ahead on slipstream, which they already have it mm-hmm. on the Aventine, but um, they are trying to prevent the Typhon pack from developing that technology. They want to be one step ahead of them. And in some ways is I get why they're doing it. It's really for protection, but it's also for them to be ahead and have more power, the Federation itself. But then I thought, well, I know ethically the way the Typhon pack got this technology when they, they stole it from the Federation that, and lives were lost during that. But it's like, really, do are we trying to prevent other societies from developing technology? Why can't the Typhon Pack or the Breen have Slipstream technology? You going to go in there and mm-hmm. take Warp Drive away from them, too?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting thing because it feels like Slipstream basically is the atomic bomb. Yes. And I can completely understand as to why the Federation would be so worried about them having this ability because if they do um, their desire to, to, to be able to strike the Federation, you know, swift and hard is going to be something to which they'll be able to do whenever they want, you know, and, and with the losses that Starfleet has taken, uh, you know, there's just no way. So I, I, I I find it a really, really good, interesting conundrum for the Federation to be in, uh, to still basically be on their heels and having to make these difficult decisions of of how to protect themselves. Um, And, you know, whether or not it's... Right or not is something that I think uh, the beauty of this is I think it leaves it open for interpretation for the uh how we feel about it but it also leaves it open to interpretation as we look towards the other books in this series to help us to be able to flesh that out and to figure out maybe even as readers how we might want to feel about it.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that they bring bashir into this as a medical officer you know and the fact that we do have section 31 and and starfleet intelligence and yet they go in this direction with bashir um i think that was also an interesting play and that he did his duty he was able to accomplish the mission but you know it it does interest Interest me how the Breen are working on this technology, but they're getting all this pressure from the Romulans and the Gorn to get it done as quickly as they can, or the Romulans are going to come in and take it over, or you know, and and bring right. in Slipstream to them. And now the Breen are like, we don't want them to have it. We don't want yep. the Romulans to. Have it. It's like, okay, nobody wants anybody to have Slipstream, <laughs> you know. Even when even when your so-called friends want it, you're not even going to share.
0: Well, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I think it what it does is it makes for a really big mess for the authors to then be able to play in, you know, and and I think that's a that's the smartness of this series, again, playing with it it, in a Cold War setting gives you the opportunity to, to really be able to dive into uh, the Star Trek universe in a different way and to be able to explore these, you know, like you said, these alien races, which we've heard their names, but we've never really explored them before. And this series gives us that opportunity to do that. So I guess my question then
1: becomes, what
0: would you rate Zero Sum Game?
1: Okay, I think you may be surprised by this, but uh, I really enjoyed this novel. The first time I read it, I enjoyed it. That's shocking. And, I, and I've always like remembered this novel for some reason. I think it's just because I love that triangle between Ezri Bashir, and Serena. And I love the relationship that develops with Bashir and Serena and how that story plays out in the later novels. And I also liked exploring the Breen in this. So exploring those relationships and exploring the Breen and kind of really introducing and getting an idea of what the Typhon Pack is all about is what really kept it fresh in my mind. So returning to this book after, I guess, almost a decade, uh, I was surprised, you know, I remembered a lot of it. And that's not always true, because there's so many times I read novels, even ones I really like, and I'm like, wait, what happened in there again? It's been so long. Yeah, because we read so many novels, they all start to blend together sometimes. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this book. And I will give this four and a half out of five Breen helmets that need to breathe easier. Mm.
0: Well, um, you know, rereading this book was really interesting, but it did uh, again, it just brought up for me some of the things that I just. And it's one of those deals where it's like personally, it's it's not the direction that I would have gone. Uh, and I can't do anything about that. Right. You know, Um. but I I think the rest of the book is is well written. We've talked about a bunch of great themes in it. And so, you know, uh, on Goodreads, you can only do whole numbers, you know, you can't do half stars. But I would probably give this three and a half out of five uh, arguments between Dax and Bashir because um, they didn't get to finish that half of an argument. um. Yeah, I mean, I think it is good, and I think it's a really interesting start to, and it was a really interesting start to the Typhon Pack series back in the day. Um, It's just not my personal favorite novel, Uh, and has nothing to do with David Mack or his writing or anything like that because it's top-notch here. Um, I will say this, too. It's one of the shortest Star Trek books. It's a very quick read, Um, and, and everything flies by very quickly here, and I think maybe just maybe, I might have liked the book to be a little bit longer, to allow more time for some of these things to breathe with the character interactions, because, again, this is a super short Star Trek book, and I feel like maybe an extra 30 pages might have been interesting just to be able to allow us to have more time, because... The setup for what they need to do, I feel like maybe could have been longer or something to give more time for character interactions and stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But all in all, good start to the Typhon Pack series.
1: Yeah, I will say, though, I did. I enjoyed that. It was kind of a fast read. So for this kind of story, it's it's nice that it has a fast pace and a fast read to it.
0: Yeah, it's very snappy.
1: Yes, snappy. That's the great way to define this novel is snappy. <laughs> well, Matt, I had a snappy time with this novel and discussing it with you. And I know that you didn't like it as much as I did, but I really did enjoy it.
0: You know, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Again, it's always fascinating to go back and reread things, right? And see how they sit with you. And sometimes, and I will say this when I, you know, uh, originally rated the book on Goodreads, it was three stars. So I did bump it up half a star. So it wasn't like um, it went down in my estimation. Um, and, and it's going to be so interesting to revisit the rest of this series now because there are some books in this series to which. I will say I did have some serious issues with.
1: Ooh, I can't wait to hit those.
0: uh, Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, Bruce, um, just a little uh, tidbit for people that are coming up. Um, We've got some comic, uh, we've got a comic issue that's going to be coming out next. Uh, Chris and I are going to be doing that. And then uh, before we return to the Typhon Pack series, we're also going to be throwing in the Lost Years series with the original characters. So I'm um, going to be going back to that and seeing how that uh, holds up, which I think, I, which is great. I've never read it, so I'm really excited.
1: Oh my gosh, I can't wait for this one. I've read them all of the Lost Years. And yeah, you'll hear all about it on that episode, but the the reason I'm reading Star Trek novels is because of the original Lost Years novel. That's Awesome.
0: Well, so if anybody, you know, wants to catch up with you uh, and see what else you've got going on around town and online, where can people find you?
1: Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral within the underline Rex. And you can also find me on Instagram with just Admiral Rex. No underline. And, of course, I'm on Facebook. You can find me there. I'm also on a podcast with Dan Gunther, who, of course, used to be a co-host on the show. We do a show called Positively Trek, where we do review books just like on here. But we also review episodes of New Star Trek and do Star Trek news and topics and guests and whatever. And then we also have the Star Wars Report podcast. I'm on occasionally with Riley Blanton talking about, of all things, Star Wars. That's shocking. I, uh, right? And you've been on the show, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. It's so weird. Uh, you can find me here on the network doing uh, a bunch of shows uh, besides literary tracks. Of course, I'm doing the 602 Club, which is our whole other side of the network that doesn't have anything to do with Star Trek because we talk about all the other fandoms we love. So I hope you'll check that out. And, of course, right now uh, doing a special run show with John Mills over there in the 602 Club, which is called Snyder Cuts. As we've been talking about everything Zack Snyder has directed, uh, one film at a time. We even discussed like his music videos and we discussed uh, his uh, short films and everything. It's been really fun because I'm making... John Mills, a Snyder fan. (laughs) That's been really great. So uh, you could also check me out over uh, on The Orb Chris Jones as we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then on the Nerd Party Network, doing a couple of shows, one with my good friend John Mills, where we talk about Star Wars as well each and every week on a show called Aggressive Negotiations. And then there's Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we walk through every chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And we are wrapping up the Deathly Hallows now. So thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.